0: Oh, I did sort of laugh a little bit there. Andrew. Well, so much has changed for us in the past year and a half. We have all had to reinvent the way we show up in the world. Everyone has had to change things schools, governments, airlines, churches, national parks you name it. We've all had to to reinvent and think up new ways to do things. And in in a way, we're, we're still doing it because some of us have figured out ways to do things better, more efficiently. But with any major shift in life, there does come this interesting tension between the old and the new. Can we do it differently? Can we do it better? How? Do we have the resources to do that new thing? Will it even succeed? Do we have the support that we need? we really need to change. Maybe we shouldn't take that step too fast. Maybe we ought to leave things the way they've always been. Those kind of questions are true for us whether we're in business, in relationships, just in our day-to-day lives, leadership, politics. There's just a little bit of fear in the unknown sometimes. And people keep saying that we're in a new normal. But I think it's really the new abnormal. Because we're in a period of unknowns, and we're still reinventing things in real time. And one of the biggest hurdles that we encounter in ourselves in times of change, when we're thinking about new things, there can often be this sense of scarcity, this thinking that says, we can't do that. We've never done it that way. I don't know how to do that. That will never work. I don't have enough time or money to make that happen. Somebody might be out to get me here. Scarcity thinking keeps us locked in what was, and it shuts down creativity and imagination for what could be. This is what the crowds of people were experiencing in our scripture reading this morning, which I'm going to take you through a little bit slower paced in just a minute. But first I want to think back to last week. So there were massive crowds that had come to hear Jesus speak that day. Word had gotten out about the healings and the miracles that Jesus was doing, about this new way that he taught to show up in life. And with no advertising, no TV, no social media, thousands of people appeared. This was how well-known Jesus was becoming. So Jesus is there teaching, and he's on a roll. I mean, he has just got people with rapt attention on the edge of their seats. And all of a sudden, the disciples come up to him, to Jesus, and they're like, Okay, you know what, Jesus? You need to wrap it up here. Tick-tock. People are starting to get a little hungry. We need to send them out so they can go get fed. And Jesus turns to them and says, So you feed them. Now the disciples immediately say, What? We can't do that. That would cost us half a year's salary to feed all of these people. You see, like us, we, they had limited ways of thinking. We think scarcity, but Jesus thinks abundance. So what happened next was nothing short of a miracle, and it's what happens for you and for me every single day when we dare to think from a place of abundance. The disciples gathered up all of the measly five loaves and, of bread and the two fish that they found, and they hand over the food, and Jesus takes it, and he blesses it, and he breaks it, and he gives it back to the people, and there's enough for everyone. So last week you heard this reading. We talked about this event. It's found in all four Gospel accounts, by the way, all four gospel writers tell this story of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus takes, blesses, breaks, and gives back. So just like on the night before he died, he shared a meal with his friends, and we celebrate that every week at communion. Jesus takes, breaks, blesses, and gives back the bread. This is what happens when we give ourselves over to God. God takes it. Whatever it is, problems, concerns, worries, hopes and dreams, you name it, the abundance for us kicks in when Jesus blesses it. And then there's enough for everyone. Sometimes I wonder if the the breaking and the blessing is actually a breaking of our hearts so that we can be opened up to more compassion more understanding, new ways of doing things. Because with our hearts and minds both open, that's when possibilities really can break forth, miracles happen. And I just wanna say here that abundant thinking is not prosperity gospel stuff here. God doesn't promise you that you'll all live in fancy houses and have all the money you want and have all the right friends and be blessed with nice cars. What God promises us when our hearts and minds are open is that we will have all we need. Abundant thinking is not simply saying to ourselves either, God will provide, and therefore we don't have to take any action. It's God will provide the discernment and the guidance that we need when we are truly seeking God's will. So fast forward this morning to this reading, which continues where we left off last week. So the following day, immediately after Jesus has fed the 5,000, the crowds of people again start looking for Jesus. After a little while, they grab some boats and they row some 18 kilometers up the coast of the Sea of Galilee. They they really want to get to him. And I have to think that some of this is just because they've seen this amazing miracle, and they want more. When they find him, Jesus says to him, you're not looking for me because of the miracles you saw yesterday. You're looking for me because you ate the food and had your fill. But you're looking for food that spoils, he said. Look instead for the food that endures for eternal life. So if you need another reminder that this is not prosperity gospel stuff, here it is. This is not about materiality, Jesus says point blank. It's not even about our human needs. Remember that Jesus also said to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman that he spoke to, go ahead and fill your cup with that water, but you're gonna get thirsty again. He's saying the same thing here to us in a different way. This is not about what feeds your stomachs, he's saying. This is about what feeds your soul. In verse 33, Jesus tells the crowd that the bread of God comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. But how? The people really want to know. They really do want to understand. They're trying to comprehend this new teaching, but all they have to compare it to is when their ancestors wandered in the desert and God provided manna for them to eat. Manna from heaven. Real, live food that filled their stomachs when they were hungry, physically. So, as one of my friends says, things are a little murky for people that day. They can't quite figure that out. They don't understand what Jesus means when he says that the food will come down from heaven, but it's not really food at least not the kind you think. So you can understand their confusion, I'm sure. Jesus is saying to them and to us, there is an abundance in God. But the question is, will we recognize it when we see it? This soul food, if you will, that Jesus is talking about is a kind of spiritual awakening that we all experience. It's an inner guidance and wisdom that helps us discern God's will for our lives. And that will always be for our best and highest good when it comes from that source. That is the abundance that is promised now and in the life to come. So the crowd kind of starts to get it. I I imagine you could see the twinkle in their eye on the beach that day. And so they respond to Jesus and they say, okay, all right, well, what do we have to do then? What work do we have to do? What does God require us to do to get this food that endures forever? And Jesus says simply, believe. That's it. Believe that I am God's son. Believe that I came to show you a better way. Believe that I am with you believe that I am the bread of life, that whoever comes to me will never hunger, whoever believes in me will never thirst, and I will not reject anyone who comes to me. And what's more, he says, my Father sent me to do this for everyone, that all people should be raised up on the last day. All means all. So Jesus Meets us where we are, in our self-loathing, in our unworthiness, in our moments of, of doubt and disbelief, in our lowest moments of, in life, in our fear, our feelings of emptiness, our feelings of never enoughness. God meets us right where we are, meets us in our hunger. And he comes with all of his love and all of his grace, and he says, come follow me. I will give you what you really hunger for, and I will give it to you in abundance. I said a minute ago that we can't simply say God will provide and take no action. Our relationship with God is a two-way street. And our role, as Jesus pointed out, is to believe. That's our job, to allow the Spirit to speak to us to offer us the wisdom and the discernment we need in order to make that next right move. What Jesus offered the crowds of people that day and what he offers us still today is an abundance of spiritual wisdom. All we have to do is bring him what we have, whether we think it's good enough or not, our meager lunches, if you will. And he will take it, bless it, break it and give it back to us in ways we can't even imagine. There's another story in the Gospels that I think really illustrates this perfectly. In the Gospel of Mark, it's a story about some men who bring a friend who's been paralyzed to Jesus for healing. Jesus was at someone's home teaching, and it was meant to be a small gathering, but as we've already learned through the gospels whenever jesus is anywhere crowds tend to gather and so once again word got out that he was there and people flocked there so many people that they couldn't even get in the front doors so when these friends bringing their friend heard that jesus was there they wanted him to heal their friend and they they get to the house carrying him on a stretcher probably and they can't even get close enough to see him they can't even get close enough to get a message to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes there's a point in my life where I would just say, you know, we tried. Let's just, let's just go. I mean, we gave it a shot. We're never going to get to him. Who are we to think that he would take a minute to see us anyway, barging in as we are? Sorry, buddy. We tried. But these guys were persistent. They were not going to walk away from there. They were this close. So they got up to the roof of this house. They bore a hole right through the mud and the thatching of that roof, and they lowered their friend right down to where Jesus is, right to the feet of Jesus. Mark chapter 2 says, When Jesus saw their faith, he healed their friend. We have one job. Believe. Persistently. Consistently. Taking it to God. The abundance kicks in when Jesus blesses what we bring. Scarcity thinking says, that's not enough. I'm not enough. I can't do that. Abundance says, there is enough. I am enough. And I can if. I can if I believe and bring what I have to Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Ephesians that God can do immeasurably more than we can ever imagine. So I just encourage us this morning to trust that God will take care of things. When we faithfully seek God's wisdom, we will discern the right path, the next right move. So as we continue down this path of so many unknowns in life, whatever they might be, whatever you might be experiencing, all these places of tension around the old ways and the new ways of showing up in life, my hope is that we will lean into the knowledge that what really feeds us is always available to those who believe. Trust that God will take care and take what you offer, that he will bless it, He will break it, and he will give back to you in abundance. Amen.